Our second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. It's lovely to be here with you this morning as ever. And uh, oh, I love these Christmas boxes. I'm excited, getting excited for Christmas already. Um, We are going to have a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable is a story. There was a moment where Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Jesus, why do you teach in parables? Why do you just tell stories? I mean, I'm sure there are moments in your own faith walk where you've got a hard question. And just imagine whatever that hard question is, and you came to Johnny, and Johnny, instead of answering your hard question with a yes or a no or this or that, just told you a story. You might, Johnny, why do you keep talking stories? Why don't you just tell us the way it is? Jesus once said to his disciples, this is why I tell you stories. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. For this people's heart has grown dull. Or another translation of that is calloused. And with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes, they have closed. Jesus taught in stories because he wanted to get to the heart. Stories are a way of getting past our blindness and deafness to our own hearts. In the way that laws, principles, theological ideas perhaps can't. So we're going to listen to a parable, and I'm going to invite you to listen to it really hard. It's a familiar parable. If you've been around church for a while, you'll have heard this parable. It's so familiar that it's entered into the culture. So the U.S. has Samaritan laws. Did you know that? That protect you should you um, help somebody by the side of the road and something goes wrong. There are laws to protect you to make sure you don't get prosecuted for trying to help. In France, they have laws called Samaritan laws that if you don't help the person lying beside the road, you get in trouble. But then they're French. What can you do? 
But here's what I want to see this morning. Jesus is responding to a question asked uh, in that translation by a lawyer. He's a religious expert. He's a Bible scholar. So Jesus is responding to a question, and it's a question asked in the light of what it takes to be saved. And Jesus responds to the man's question with another question in the form of a story. And that's this question that I want us to hear this morning. A question that has to do with salvation and has something to do with what is stopping us from being a good neighbor. Would you pray with me? And then we'll have a look at the text. Lord, this morning, I pray we would not be those with calloused hearts, but you'd open our eyes, you'd open our ears, you'd open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. Lord Jesus, you are good. Your word is good. Teach us now, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first thing I want to wrestle with is difficult. Um, I don't know how many of you grow up in what you might call a Protestant church. Just raise your hands. Some of you may have grown up in another um, denomination or another part of the church body. But this is, like it or not, a story told in the context of salvation. Uh, behold, we read, a lawyer, that is a Bible, a Bible expert, a Torah expert, stood up and put him to the test, put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, for many of us, we start to think, yikes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't have to do anything to inherit eternal life, right? Right? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. You believe in salvation by grace through faith. That is the great Protestant, if you will, insight that changed the course of the church. Actually, both in the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. So yes and amen. But at the same time, we can't get round that this is a story told in the context of a question about salvation. And so I just want to let that sit in you and let you ask yourself, what does my doing have to do with my salvation? Are they completely separate or do they belong together in some way? So Jesus answers the lawyer's expert about salvation with another question, very Jewish. And Jesus basically says to this Bible scholar, well, you asked a question about salvation. You know your Torah. You go on. You tell me. Jesus said to him in verse 25, what's written in the law, the Torah? How do you read it, Bible scholar? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This expert has chosen two out of 613 commandments in the Torah. And we read some of them through uh, the book of Leviticus this morning. The interesting thing is, we know that those two commandments are exactly the same ones as Jesus would have chosen when asked to sum up the law and the prophets. In Matthew 22, this is what Jesus said when he was asked, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commands, Jesus said, hang all the law and the prophets. Everything that you understand in the law could be hung on these two. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus is kind of responding to this lie, saying, okay, you got it, good. He said to him, you've answered correctly, do this, do it, and you will live. Go, lawyer, and live up to your own standards. Comfortable? How are you doing at living up to your own standards? And there's something amiss now in the religious expert's heart. You can feel him standing before Jesus, getting a little bit uncomfortable, because I think he's seeing where this is beginning to lead. And so being a lawyer, in a sense, an expert in the law, the Mosaic law, he starts to sort of equivocate slightly and dodge and dive. I'm sorry if you're a lawyer this morning. But you have your ways, right? And this is what the legal mind does. He says, oh, okay, Jesus, I get it. But who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? So then Jesus has got him. Jesus who knew the hearts of men and women. Jesus who knows your heart. Tells a story that gets right to the heart of Israel's, and therefore probably this legal expert's, neighboring problem. Because Israel has a neighboring problem. The lawyer has just quoted Leviticus, which we read this morning, and the full quote goes like this, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You are not to carry hate in your heart. You are not to carry hate in your heart for anyone, for your brother, for your sister. No, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the problem. The Jews of the time hated the Samaritans. I mean, hated. They were the heretics of their age. They were a kind of half uh, mudblood. You know Harry Potter? I'm allowed to read him Harry Potter? Okay, okay. Anyway, they're kind of mudbloods. They're kind of a mix. Anything worse. I mean, go and be a Gentile. Be a Gentile, fine. But don't be a sort of half Jewish, half Gentile. It's like the English hate the French. <laughs> the Samaritans only believed certain parts of the Hebrew Scriptures were inspired. They thought God should be worshipped in Samaria on Mount Gerizim instead of Jerusalem, the temple. There was a lot of bad blood. A little while ago, I went out to spend some time in Jerusalem with an Anglican priest called Canon Andrew White, who does peacemaking and reconciliation work um, in the Middle East in that past, in, in uh, uh, Israel and Palestine. And we traveled around and we heard from the Jewish authorities who told us the terrible problems they have with violence and with rockets being launched into Israel. It's a real problem. And then we went to the other side and heard from the Palestinian mayor who talked about her economy and how people were literally starving in Palestine. But what really, really got me was when we went and we saw the wall, because there's a wall. There's a wall. It's big. And we went and we visited with another mayor of a very small town. He said, look, I live over here on this side of the wall, and the wall happens to split my town in half. And over there, literally in eyesight, is my brother, my physical brother, my natural brother and his family. To go and visit him, I now have to go through a checkpoint. It takes about two to three hours. 
to do a five-minute journey and vice versa. And his kids have to come to school through that checkpoint. And that physical wall is shocking when you see it. It is shocking. It's a shocking division. It's what hatred does when it's allowed to fester over decades. In the end, it manifests itself in a physical way. And that is what's going on between the Jews, the first century Jews, and Samaritans. So this is a shocking story. And Jesus uh, uh, says this. There's a Jewish man walking down from Jericho, uh, from, uh, uh, down to Jericho from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is high, 900 feet, and down to Jericho is 400, uh, 900 feet above sea level. Jericho is 400 feet below. So it's a big, long journey, long and dangerous road. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. No surprise there. It's a dangerous road. Who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. But coming along that road is a priest. Now, this priest, probably in Jesus' mind, is a Kohen. Do you know the name Kohen? Have you ever met anybody whose surname is Kohen? That's what it means. The Kohens were the high priests. And probably he's traveling either to Jerusalem, up to the temple, or he's doing some kind of religious service in his travels. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by. When he saw the, the, the guy lying who'd been robbed and beaten, he passed by on the other side. What's going on? You see, there's a big problem if you're a priest, and there's a body. And you're not sure if that body is dead or alive. Because if I go over to the body, and I prod it to see if it's going to move, and it's dead, then I am now unclean. And I can now no longer fulfill my priestly duties. So I have something of a dilemma as a priest in Israel. Should I go over and touch it and give it a push and see if it groans? Or should I fulfill my religious duty and remain clean so I can perform my religious function? And Jesus in, uh, enforces that point by saying, yes, so there was a Kohen that went past, and then there's a Levite, another part of the priestly tribes of Israel. He comes past, and he does exactly the same thing. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by, not near, not peering over, but on the other side of the road. He does not want to become unclean so that he cannot perform his religious duties. And it seems that Jesus is raising a deliberate tension, a question. What does it mean to serve God and live out your salvation? Because technically, those priests are doing the right thing. They're remaining clean. Is that right, or do you show mercy, and by showing mercy, perhaps break the law? And if you've ever been involved in any kind of pastoral role, and I'm sure you could ask Johnny or Corky, there will be times when those sorts of tensions come up in pastoral life. What am I supposed to do? It's not a simple question. But Jesus answers the dilemma through a Samaritan of all people, someone who believes wrong but does right. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, the man lying in the, on the side of the road, he had compassion. He suffered with. That's what the word compassion means. And this heretic does the right thing, putting his own life at risk. Listen, the Samaritan went to him and bound up this man's wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's quite a lot of money, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever you spend I will repay you when I come back. Listen, 
Let's just try and imagine, and I couldn't really imagine one which is not likely to offend somebody, so forgive me if I've offended anybody. But let's imagine the time when, you know, there are settlers and Native Americans, okay? There's a little bit of tension going on, and a Native American finds a white settler by the side of the road, picks him up, and walks into the white settler's camp with a body on his shoulders. What's the assumption? Or vice versa. It's a risk. He is putting himself in a deeply vulnerable place. And as I've thought about neighboring, which I have over quite a lot of time, I wonder if the greatest challenge of neighboring is are we willing to put ourselves in a vulnerable place vis-a-vis our neighbor? Are we willing to let them see the mess of our lives? If, God forbid... They should know that I am a pastor and I'm yelling at my kids. I do that from time to time. (laughs) Am I willing to let my neighbor see that? Am I willing to put myself in a vulnerable place? And think of who's telling this story. Jesus. And what does Jesus do for our sake who, according to the scriptures, were his enemies? He puts himself in the most ultimately vulnerable place on the cross. This story of the Samaritan bears hearing deeply. I'm not telling you in emphasizing this is a story about doing and salvation, that it doesn't matter what you believe, we know that, because there's another occasion when Jesus meets a Samaritan woman, do you remember that? the woman at the well. She has some questions. Jesus sets her straight. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. It's not okay to have your ideas about God all mixed up. But Jesus, with this religious expert, is asking him a question that really only the heart can answer. Which of these three, the high priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer, the legal expert, the Torah expert said, the one who showed him mercy. Perhaps the lawyer doesn't want to say the Samaritan who showed him mercy. That's a step too far for him. But he's got something And perhaps this Torah expert has flowing through his mind at that moment the words of the prophet Hosea, who says, speaking God's words, there are times when the scripture seems that God is speaking very directly, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and sacrifice in the terms of religious sacrifice. The word mercy, elios, is not just Forgiving a debt or an offense, it suggests blessing, unwarranted compassion, leniency. It's about pardon, kindness, strength, and even rescue and generosity, all summed up in that one word, mercy, which is why so many traditional Christian prayers, we say, Lord, have mercy. Don't you want mercy from God? Oh, yes, you do. So do I. Jesus responds to this legal expert. You've got the heart of neighboring. 
You go and do, do likewise. So yeah, we'll wrap this up. But if, if, if you haven't listened to the talk that Johnny spoke about, uh, referred to last week, the Andy Crouch talk on Q ideas, overcoming our greatest affliction, go and do it. It's fabulous. I think Andy Crouch is one of our great orthodox cultural commentators. He sees things really well. We're living as the most powerful generation in history. This is Andy Crouch's word, but also the loneliest, most anxious, most depressed. We're meant to flourish in heart, soul, mind, strength, and relationship, yet culture asks us to undermine our personhood in order to acquire power. That's what's going on. We know we need to do this neighboring thing. That's the invitation of the church. We have a problem. That's why we hosted Q Commons. We had a great time. About 100 people came, and we listened to doers of neighboring, people who did, or are doing, I'm sorry, neighboring. Bob Goff, a guy called Danny Falcone, who does a thing called apartment life, learning to neighbor in apartment blocks. Melissa Nee, who runs something called Mums Run This Town, run in physical ways, run in every other way. Neighboring, neighboring, doers. And here's the thing I just want to leave you with. If we too, in the light of our salvation, will become doers, because I don't think the two are separate, they're just not. We will meet not only our neighbors, but two other people we'll meet, if we will do. We'll meet two other people as we do. The first is ourselves. You know that really irritating, I think it's capital one, Advert, what's in your wallet? <laughs> is it Capital One? I'm sorry if you work for Capital One. It irritates me every time I see it. The question will be, what's in your heart? As you go and neighbor, what's in your heart? And as you face that, as a person of faith, Jesus will come and ask you a question that points to the problem of your heart. It may not be the same question as he asked the legal expert or the rich young ruler. But there'll be a question for you, you can be sure. Because Jesus is concerned for your salvation, which involves your heart. So I'm going to finish by just inviting us to pray for a moment. Just be honest with ourselves and God just for a minute as the band come up. That as you think, you can close your eyes, just so you're not distracted by people around you if you like. Just be honest with yourself for a moment and with God and say, as you think about neighboring, and think about real neighbors, your actual neighborhood, not abstract, not a principle, not a thought, but actually where you live. And the person who's building a house across from you is really annoying because it's been going on for two years now, or whatever it is. Your actual neighborhood. And when you think about doing neighboring, what comes up in you? Tiredness? Reluctance, vulnerability, apathy, too hard, can't wait. And in the light of that, what question do you think Jesus would ask you? As you stand before 
him, what story would he tell you?